Sacred Pause with Jessica Winderl. Hey everyone, welcome back to the One Sacred Pause podcast. I am your host, Jessica, and I'm so excited to kick off season four. Kind of hard to believe. Um, I've started this podcast a year and a half ago in 2018, so kind of crazy to be here now, but super exciting. Um, I love doing this so much. So um, before we dive into this week's episode, though, just a couple of announcements. It's a new year, it's a new decade, lots of things happening on a personal level. I am very excited to um, share with the world that I'm pregnant and I'll be starting my maternity leave in June, I'm due in July, and then I'll just be home the rest of the year with my baby and my husband. So that's exciting. And what that means then is, of course, that the Atman Yoga School is going to be running less trainings this year. So quick overview on what we still have spots left for. We have our Restore and Yoga Nidra teacher training in Oslo. That's in March. We have the same training in Bergen in May and in Xi'an in June. So if any of those are interesting to you, send us an email, hello at atmanyogaschool.com. We also have a five-day intensive vinyasa teacher training. This is in May also, May 6th through 10. And this is for anyone who's a graduate of a 200-hour teacher training and really wants to solidify their practical teaching skills for vinyasa. It's also a pre-requirement or prerequisite to attend our 340-hour advanced training, which will start in 2020. And that's it. Yeah, that's, I guess those are the only other trainings we've got. And then we have the Atman Yoga Festival coming up uh, very soon, Saturday, February 29th. So if you don't have a ticket, go to eventbrite.com and grab one for yourself. We have limited tickets because we're just doing a pop-up for this first year of running the festival and it's going to be awesome. We have great teachers, an amazing live DJ. We've got a vendor section. And in the vendor section, we also have people offering um, all natural luxury facials, like express shortened um, times, and then also vegan, all natural, organic uh, nail treatments that you can get and then also of course like short massages so it's a whole day extravaganza and then we have giveaways and we have sponsors and it's going to be really really fun just an awesome community event so check it out online you can also learn more at our website www.atmanyogaschool.com hope to see you there and if not enjoy listening to this season of the podcast. We've got some really cool guests lined up. So ah, time to dive in. All right, here we go. Episode one. Hey, yogis, welcome back to the One Sacred Pause podcast. And we are kicking off episode one of season four with something that was really cool. It's still cool, but uh, a little bit more um, edited, I guess we can say. Uh, this episode was so cool. It was actually a live event that was recorded two weeks ago here in Oslo at the new Lululemon studio space. And when I was thinking about a topic that I really wanted to cover as a live event in something that would 
really embody what my personal goals are for 2020, what my professional goals are for 2020, it became very obvious that what I wanted to do was a panel discussion with some of the uh, people in the yoga community here in Oslo that I really respect, I really admire, and really get inspired by. And so this episode was with myself as the owner of the Atman Yoga School, and then three yoga teachers and local studio owners here. So it was super cool. And unfortunately, um, even though I had hired a sound technician to help me and rented equipment and had had gone through all this trouble to make sure that nothing went wrong, um, we, we only got the last half of the episode recorded. So I am re-recording kind of the, the cliff notes, the, the, the shortened uh, version of what we talked about in the first half, and then we will cut into the recording of the actual live event. So we roll with the punches, right? That's just how it goes. And it's just, it's so funny and ironic because I was trying to plan every little thing to make sure this did not happen. And of course, it did. <laughs> so, oh well. So, the topic for today's podcast is collaboration over competition and how we can come together as leaders and influencers and participants in our local yoga community to really help to shape it in the direction that we think it should be going and how do we come together to make that happen rather than kind of the scarcity mentality of hoarding our resources and hoarding our community. And that was the main point of this conversation in this particular podcast episode is, is the value of community. So everybody on a very human level has this deep craving to be seen, to feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves, to feel like they belong, to feel like they have something to give and to offer, and that that is then in turn valued. And so community, and especially within our yoga community, is such an important topic to consider. And my experience has been that it's very, very easy to kind of get stuck in your own patterns, your own routines, and you're like, okay, I've got to do this, I got to do that. And, and then we just kind of forget or don't make time or don't prioritize reaching out to other people in our community. Like it might be at the back of our mind, like, oh, I'd love to talk to that person. I'd love to do something with them. And then just, we get busy, we get overwhelmed, we get overworked. And so that's something I'm really trying to combat in 2020. Um, as I'm moving forward with my business and in my personal life, it's all right, how, how can I help be a catalyst in my community to bring people together. And then ultimately, of course, I get the benefit of being part of that community. And, you know, then we have all these layers upon layers too of like, okay, well, what, what should the community be like and who is part of it? And what are, what are we bringing to the forefront as our ideals for a community? So, That's what led me to this podcast episode and the people that I selected to be part of the conversation with me are three local powerhouse women and they're out there, they're doing it, they are owning studios, so female-owned businesses. And for those of you who are not in Norway, running a business in Norway is tough. Um, I would not (laughs) classify Norway as 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 a business friendly environment, but Then again, that could also just be my personal experience as an immigrant and a lot of other things that 
come up for me personally running a business here. But um, all three of these women have been running studios for uh, four, five, six years. And so that's really impressive. So in my mind, these are the largest independent yoga studios in Oslo. And one thing that we talked about in the conversation that we'll get into, or I'll get into a little bit later here is um, how they're focusing on community, but also what types of yoga they're offering. So that was really cool. We talked about like, okay, well, what have we seen change in our local community in the last five years? Where do we think it is today? And what do we think is going to happen in the next five years? And so that was why I invited these particular women is I really wanted their opinion and their input and what their experience has been and, and what they have seen happen in our community here. And even if you're not in the local Oslo community, I think this conversation is still one that is incredibly relevant and one that we need to take time to really talk about with each other not just to consider for ourselves individually, but <laughs> that's like the definition of community. You have to have other people involved. And so as so many people are stepping into the space of entrepreneurship and are progressing as yoga teachers, both in Oslo and Norway and then, and then globally, um, I think that really successful businesses are successful because they work together with other people. And this comes back to that idea of like, okay, well, what is collaboration versus competition? And no matter what, if you run a business, like there's always some level of competition just by nature of the market. But it's the way in which we view that idea of competition that can radically shift. So if we're locked into the idea of like, okay, well, competition is based on, a, on this really strong fear-driven scarcity mindset of like, okay, well, if somebody else has that, that student, that training, um, that workshop, then there's none for me. Then I can't do that. And so what we can see in some communities, and definitely I saw this in the U.S., not always, but, but maybe more frequently, um, is this like really cutthroat? Oh, what's that studio doing? Okay, well, we got to do it better. All right. Well, what about our pricing? And what about our teachers? And what about how many students are in each class? And it comes from this really fear-based place. And I think you can never be truly successful in business in the yoga world, in the wellness space, um, if that's your main motivating factor. If the reason you do what you do is to try and be better than other people and have more students in your classes and make more money, then at some point you will be limited by your own belief system. And you're never going to be peaceful and happy inside, or you're never going to be able to celebrate your successes because you're always like at the back of your mind thinking about, oh, what are they doing? What are they doing? What are they doing? Well, the way I look at it <laughs> is the flip of that. What are they doing? Oh, cool. Wow, that is so inspiring. Huh, neat. I never thought of it that way. Or wow, look at them go. So that mentality is not about competition. That's about inspiration. How can we get inspired by one another and then in turn inspire ourselves? And so I think this goes for students. I think this goes for teachers. I think this goes for business owners. 
I think this goes for anybody who is on the path of yoga and wellness and striving to create more abundance in their life. And that term gets thrown around a lot. I know I've talked about it on previous episodes, abundance. And when I use the term abundance, I'm not talking strictly financial, although that's really important, um, but I'm talking also energetically. Do you feel supported? Supported by the work that you're doing, supported by the people around you, supported by your colleagues, supported by your students. Um, And so how do we allow that to be the shift in our perspective? So moving away from the fear mentality into this very expansive mentality of, ah, there is enough for everybody in our community. There is enough uh, money, enough time, enough resources, enough students, and then allowing that to expand those limitations that perhaps we are putting on ourselves. And then here's the scary part though, is it always comes back then to personal responsibility. If you're not feeling threatened by people around you or other businesses, other teachers, and you're like, wow, okay, the sky's the limit. Cool. They're doing something in a way I never considered, or wow, look at them out there really, you know, putting their offering into the world. Then ultimately it comes back to yourself and like, huh, okay. How do I up-level? How do I show up as the best version of myself? And as a teacher, that would be for your students. As a business owner, that would be for your colleagues or your coworkers or the people that work with you. And then what happens is we have this really positive spiral of energy and vibration that is uplifting to those in our community rather than being this negative downward spiral pulling people down where it's like oh shh don't tell them what you're doing and oh shh it's a secret <laughs> like I've certainly seen some of that in various yoga communities and it's like hmm okay first of all yoga has been around a really long time and so it's not like we're really reinventing the wheel here but of course we are putting our own unique voice and spin on how we uh, promote our offerings and that's where it ties in directly to the marketing and what your brand is and your vibration and the students that you want to serve and the students that you want to attract so there's a lot of things here that kind of um stack upon one another and then striving to notice when our ego kicks in and the ego is like oh so and so is doing better than I am like what does that mean (laughs) oh that teacher has more students in their workshop or oh that studio has more students in their teacher training or it's a waste of energy And there's so many other directions that we could be using our energy in a productive way. And so this is where the collaboration part comes in. For me, one of the coolest things uh, with collaboration is how we do start the conversation of inspiration. And when you see somebody in your community, whether it's in Oslo or Norway or wherever in the world you are, and you see somebody who's doing something cool, reach out. Like, this is where I actually think social media has been a benefit. Um, And I know in Norway in particular, the social media, um, the Instagram community for the yoga space is is really vibrant. And a lot of people are DMing back and forth and shout outs. And so even though you might not personally know somebody, it's very likely that you know somebody or know of somebody online. 
And if you like what they're doing, say so. Give them a shout out. Say, hey, that's awesome. That's really cool that you're doing that. And then that's that kind of in into, oh, wow, I thought that person was really like, (laughs) I don't know, stuck up, or I thought they thought they were really cool. Or, you know, we have these perceptions of people who we don't know, and they're always wrong, almost always wrong. And so when we're talking about the idea of collaboration over competition, if we don't know somebody personally, we just know of them in our community, it's very likely that we have a wrong opinion about them. And so when we start the conversation, like, hey, what you're doing is super cool, then all of a sudden, all those walls start to come down. I know this happens for me when I get a random message from somebody and it's a really nice message. I'm like, wow, (laughs) that is so cool. That just totally made my day. That gave me a boost of energy. And now I'm, I'm, I really want to like talk to this person. And usually this happens with another teacher at another studio or they're part of another teacher training or whatever it is. And it's like, All of a sudden, instead of us looking at each other as competition, we are starting a friendship. And it might not be like BFFs forever, but it's a professional friendship that you never know a year from now, two years from now, three years down the road, what it could open up to, what possibilities might then be open to you. And so this then too (laughs) leads into the idea of professionalism in our yoga community and not being gossipy and not being ugh, negative about things and, and not being weird. Like, I don't know. I, I have definitely seen a lot of, a lot of negativity and a lot of gossip um, in the yoga community in the past. And I always try to step out of it. I don't think it's productive and I don't think it's healthy. Um, but usually that behavior also is coming from a place of fear, from a place of comparison. And so when we perceive somebody else in our community to have something that we want and we think we don't have, then all of a sudden the lowest common denominator is negativity. And we're like, oh, well, that person's such a bitch. Like, oh, that person, whatever, they don't have good training. They don't, they haven't been a teacher for very long. Or it, there's all these nasty comments, and I have heard them all <laughs> over the course of my career. And, and honestly, I've probably said a few too, if I'm being honest. And then that always makes me think, like, Jessica, that's not who I want to be. That's not how I want to show up. And when I'm thinking about community and I'm thinking about how everything comes together in a supportive way, in a positive way, then I have to be responsible for my actions, responsible for the words that I choose to use, responsible for how I show up. And it's just like that beautiful, famous Gandhi quote, be the change you wish to see in the world. And if I think personally that there is perhaps a a better, healthier, nicer, kinder way to be doing business in our local community, then I'm going to do that to the best of my ability. And when I see somebody who's doing something cool or inspiring or has a new twist on something, then I reach out and I say, wow, that's awesome. So then once that conversation has started, then the next part could possibly be the collaboration. Hey, um, do you want to co-teach a workshop together? Or if you're not a teacher, if you're a student, hey, do you want to go to this workshop with me? Like make a new friend, (laughs) invite them to come with you. And then maybe you grab tea after, or maybe not. Maybe you just go to the workshop. And this is how community gets built. Reaching out, taking a chance, perhaps getting outside of your comfort zone, and 
putting yourself on the line in a way that can feel really vulnerable and really open to rejection. (laughs) I mean, I've asked people to co-teach workshops before and they're like, yeah, maybe (laughs) nothing happens. I'm like, okay, got it. And that's fine. You move on. You don't like linger on it. Like why, why don't they want to co-teach with me? Who cares? Maybe it's just for whatever reason, like they don't feel um, like our, our methods or styles mesh together. And that's fine because you're always going to find somebody who does mesh with you and who does think what you're doing is cool and does want to be part of it. And so that's the big part of collaboration in effort of creating community is somebody has to be the first one to extend the olive branch. (laughs) Somebody has to be the first one to put themselves out there and say, Hey, we've never met, but I've been, you know, watching you on social media for a long time. I think what you're doing is super cool. Would you like to grab a coffee? I'd like to talk to you. You know, maybe we could co-teach at some point together or, um, you know, do, do an event or a workshop or an offering in, I see a lot of the retreats that are being offered in Norway are co-taught by teachers. And that's cool too. Of course, then it also, you don't get paid as much because you're splitting the profits, but you're also not working as much (laughs) because you're splitting the workload. And that's then also like a less risky way to perhaps try a new venture from the business side of things as a teacher is, is to do it with somebody else, to collaborate and work together as a team. That being said, however, if you are co-teaching something with someone that's more than a workshop, if it's a retreat or a training or I don't know, something else, um, you do have to be fairly certain that you can trust that person. First of all, their teaching ability. Second of all, their business ethics. Like, are they going to do everything above board or is all the accounting going to be done properly? Is everything going to be done in a timely manner? So it's, there's a lot to consider, but in general, um, for things like that, if you're co-teaching something, there's, the risk is pretty minimal. Um, and usually you start out with something small, like a workshop, and then you build up to something more. And of course, then there's like, okay, well, let's start a studio together. <laughs> and in, in general, I think that's a bit riskier, and I don't usually recommend people co-start studios together. And that's just because in general, um, it, it, running a business is stressful and hard and a yoga business in particular, a yoga studio is incredibly hard to make successful and to continue to operate. Like the grind wears you down. If you're not supported financially and energetically by your business partner, And so then that's also part of the reason why I had selected these three specific women to talk to is because they have been successful running their business. And um, a couple of them have had partners that have come and gone. We didn't really talk specifically about that, so I'm not sure. But it's it's just how do we start the conversation? (laughs) So moving on to the conversation I had on the panel discussion, what we did was um, first everybody introduced themselves. So Tonya Ness is the owner of Leela Yoga and Grunalaka in Oslo, and they've been in business six years. And Leela, I've run teacher trainings there. That's the studio I teach at right now, one weekly class, um, public class on Tuesday afternoons. And it's just a super beautiful space and super cool community, really um, vibrant. 
And so I had asked each of the teachers, I'm like, well, what do you think makes your studio special and your community special? And they all actually said kind of the same answer. And it was just our students. The students are loyal. The students show up. The students, um, all the teachers know the students' names. Like people feel really seen. They feel really taken care of. They feel really like they're a part of a part of the studio. And then on the panel, uh, we had Stina Hegre, and she is the owner with her husband of Joy Yoga in Oslo. And I think they've been in business five years, she said, which is super cool. And they also do a bunch of online stuff and a bunch of workshops. I'll be teaching actually an Ayurveda workshop there in March, which I forgot about, uh, which is cool. I mean, that's the other part of collaboration is and, and coming at it from the space of inspiration rather than competition is studios are not closed borders. <laughs> like you don't have to, as a teacher, be loyal to only one studio. First of all, that's bad business. You're probably going to be really limited then um, if you're not able to go to other studios and make money with other offerings, other workshops. Uh, but then also it's bad business for the studio because then they're very much in that space of fear. It's like, oh, okay, you can only teach at my studio. That's why non-competes are a terrible idea. They're illegal in the U.S. now. And, and I, I thought they were illegal in Norway, but I don't know. I don't know enough about the Norwegian law. Um, but the reason a non-compete is typically illegal is because, in, for yoga teachers, is because if you're required to sign a non-competition agreement, what that means is you're agreeing to only teach at that one studio or that one gym. And if you teach somewhere else, you're in violation of that agreement. But the flip side is that's illegal unless the studio or gym can offer you full-time employment. Because what they're doing is they're limiting your ability to make a living. They're saying, oh, we only have two slots for you, but you can't teach anywhere else because we want, you know, the exclusivity <laughs> of having you at our studio as a way to promote and market our offerings. Um, then you, you can only teach two classes a week and you can't live off of that. So that's where, I mean, non-competes are just like the biggest most outdated fear-based model, especially in an emerging market like Norway, where there is so much yoga for everybody. And there's so many new students coming to yoga every day, every week that it's like, okay, no, get rid of that. So that's why it's super cool when studios are like, oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. You teach at Leva, but come teach a workshop here and teach a workshop there. And, um, in my mind, that's, that's the sign of a really healthy studio and a really healthy attitude coming from the top down, from the business owner. Um, and then the third guest on our panel, uh, Maya Greta. And I don't know if I'm saying that right. Sorry, Maya. <laughs> oh, it's always embarrassing for me when I can't say the Norwegian names. Um, and she's the owner of Raw Yoga. And that's by the National Theater in Oslo. And I think she's been in business four or five years. Uh, they're mostly a hot studio. And yeah, it's just super cool. Like everybody talked about how hard they're working and how much dedication it takes to be in business as a studio owner. And one of the things that they had mentioned, all three of them, besides the loyalty of their student base and how they're, they're all really concerned about creating a warm environment for the students that come to them is, uh, just seeing how many more people are coming to yoga in the past five years. 
All three of them teach vinyasa and have vinyasa really featured at their studios. And so that was one of the things we talked about. I was like, wow, okay. Uh, Historically, Ashtanga has been a really rooted practice here in Norway. And there's a couple of established Ashtanga studios and, and a lot of Ashtanga teachers, which is great. But vinyasa um, sometimes offers a little bit more freedom to students. And that's why I'm so in love with vinyasa is, to me, it's the embodiment of freedom. Every body, every ability, every experience is welcome. And there's no right or wrong as long as you're being safe in your body. So that's the responsibility of the teacher to teach both good alignment and good sequencing to keep the students safe in their bodies. Um, but there's options in everything that you do. And so maybe one day you show up and your energy super low and you're like, man, <laughs> I just got to take a lot of child's pose. Maybe there's like one warrior or two in there. That's cool. Uh, and then maybe another day you show up and you're like, wow, I have so much energy. I'm so like ready to go. And you just like get after it on the mat. That's cool too. And I really love that. I think it's, it's the freedom of vinyasa um, is really keeping in line with a lot of the, the intention of Krishnamacharya's teachings in terms of we fit the practice to the individual. We don't fit the individual to the practice. And so that's where that freedom aspect comes in is like, okay, well, how does it feel in your body? And so all three of these women, Tonya, Stina, and Maya, are in agreement with me and with each other about how vinyasa is now becoming really hot in Norway. And it's funny, (laughs) coming from the U.S., where vinyasa is on like every street corner. And I've, I've shared this story a bunch, and I shared it again in this episode, how when I first came to Norway, and even, I mean, I probably got an email three or four months ago about this. Um, my biggest worry was, okay, I'm new to the market. How do I market my school? How do I market me? How do people know what I'm offering? (laughs) I didn't realize that I would have to then be marketing, um, and educating people about what vinyasa yoga was. Cause that just, it's so popular in in the U S you never have to explain it. People are like, yeah, yeah, vinyasa. I love it. I do it all the time. And in Norway, I get emails or people are like, oh, if I come to your school and I do your training, Will I be um, certified to teach the primary series? Will I be teaching Ashtanga? <laughs> Will I be teaching Yin? What am I learning? And in my mind, I'm like, wow, I, I thought my website was really clear about vinyasa and specifically how we teach it and what our philosophy is behind it. Uh, and so I, I oftentimes have to be like even more clear. And so all of the women on the panel were in agreement about that too. Like there is an element of kind of getting people to understand what vinyasa yoga is. And then all of our experiences have been, once people find vinyasa, they're like, oh my God, this is what I've been looking for. I love this. This is amazing. It's it's everything I wanted in my practice. And so I think that's the big trend that we are going to start to see is more and more and more vinyasa. And so when there's more teachers coming out with vinyasa, then there's more students being exposed to that. And it can be more playful and more upbeat and there's music. And I mean, there's just a lot more that could possibly be going into it. So that's one thing that we saw. And of course, just the increase in students in general coming to yoga. And 
I think that's just so exciting. And as we see more students, then of course there is, in my opinion, a demand for more teachers because there's so many different ways and avenues in which we can be teaching. And it's not just in studios. It's not just in gyms. And then this is where we can find that inspiration. And um, as teachers, perhaps going into our local communities, create opportunity for ourselves. So that comes back to that responsibility that comes back to really taking a risk, putting yourself out there, being vulnerable, being willing to fail. I have so many failures under my belt as a yoga teacher and as a business owner. And sometimes that's not what gets seen. That's not what gets talked about. What gets talked about or seen are only the successes or perceived successes. And so as a new yoga teacher, it can be really intimidating to put yourself out there and be like, oh my God, but I don't know if I have enough experience and what are people going to think? And I'm still unsure and a little uncertain of what I'm doing and what my voice is. And to those teachers, I say, trust yourself, you know, do the work, take a risk. And that's, that's where we start. Like if we're always so worried about starting and we're always so worried about what other people are going to think, we're always so worried to reach out and ask for an opportunity, then (laughs) we're just going to sit still. Like we're never going to evolve. We're never going to move forward. And that was one of the hardest lessons I've ever learned in my life. Um, And it was, it was, I was a smack in the face when I got that lesson, which I've talked about in a previous episode. And I'm just, I'm so grateful for it now, even though it was incredibly painful at the time. Um, Going for it. Asking to be seen, asking for opportunity and, then we start inspiring each other, especially if you are a new teacher and you see another new teacher getting a gig that you want. You're like, whoa, they got it. Okay, well, why can't I get it then? Um, trying to think about what else we talked about. Um, I think that's really kind of, I mean, sums up it's my spin on it, of course, but I mean, that's a lot of what we were talking about. Like how, how are we successful as yogis and how are we successful as business owners and how do we keep each other motivated? And again, that motivation can either come from a negative space of fear or it can come from a positive space of inspiration. And so allowing ourselves to drop that scarcity mentality of like, oh, there's only so much And it's like a pie. Once somebody gets a piece, okay, there's one less piece for me. That's not actually how it is. It's like one massive pie (laughs) that everybody gets a piece, as many pieces as they want. And, you know, of course, I do want to be really clear. I'm, this is my opinion. And it's my opinion because it has worked for me because I've worked my ass off and I've persevered. And when people, I get the question a lot like, oh, okay, well, do you think, are there too many teachers in Norway? And are, are there, are there going to be too many teachers? And I, because I run a teacher training school, of course, of course, my opinion's no. Um, but let me tell you why my opinion is no. My opinion is no, I don't think there are too many teachers and I don't think there are going to be too many teachers. And it's because, um, first of all, I would say, I don't know, half about half, at least a third 
of people who take a teacher training do it just for themselves. They don't really have any intention of teaching. And I think that's beautiful. I absolutely love that. I wish more people would take teacher training just for themselves to learn the tools to help them navigate their own experiences in life. Um, and then the other thing is, is because our student base is growing so quickly. We talk a lot about um, how doctors in Norway are now prescribing a lot of yoga, telling people to go pregnancy, postpartum, you have a prolapse, you have this, you have that. Uh, of course, then there's a huge disconnect between what a lot of doctors think yoga is and what yoga actually is. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's starting to become part of our general population. It's more mainstream. People are like, oh, yoga, it's not just for the weird hippies in the park. It's not just for uh, the really bendy flexies. It's, it's for everybody. And it can be an amazing tool to help with stress reduction and better sleep and better sex life and better motivation, better focus at work. Like there are so I mean, I just, I don't even know of any negatives to this practice, to be honest, except maybe when you get obsessed. <laughs> hmm. I don't know. Anyways, so we have more people from the general population coming into yoga um, the next episode, episode two, uh, I speak with uh, Mikkel Lund from Bedrifts Yoga. And we talked all about like, okay, well now there's a lot of yoga being offered in workplaces and corporations and companies. So those people who might not otherwise have been exposed to yoga now are getting it in their workplace. And then they might want to go out on their own and be like, oh, I love this yoga thing. Like, where do I find more of that? And so there's a lot of other opportunities between courses and workshops and specialty workshops and, you know, specialty courses and then retreats. And there's a lot of yoga weekends in Norway, which I think is super cool. Like that's not really something we have in the U.S. Um, and I'm seeing a ton more pop up here. Uh, so that's another great way to collaborate, you know, get a few other teachers together, start a yoga weekend. You do it at a resort, you do it at a hotel, like, you know, why not? A lot of Norwegians like to go away for the weekend, and especially if it's near nature. So then it's a really fun, cool way to make something for yourself rather than waiting for someone to come to you. Because newsflash, no one's going to knock on your door and offer you your dream job. <laughs> There's a lot, a lot of motivation that has to come from within to make that happen. Um, and then that's where collaboration comes in. Reach out. Grab a friend, grab a new friend, <laughs> grab a buddy. So that being said, um, I think from here we'll dive into the conversation that we had from the panel. And this is um, just about where we started talking about the, the exactly like the business part of studios and being yoga teachers. So I hope you enjoy it. That's a great point. Yeah, I agree. And I, I'm not fully opposed to course in general. Like, I think it's a great idea to do a be beginner course or a seven-week chakra course or, you know, to do a specialty series is a great idea. And I think that can be a really, it's like an extended workshop. Yeah. yeah. But when the model of the entire studio is on the, the course Only system, course. Yeah. I think, you know, and yes, it has worked for a lot of studios in Norway because I think that was the traditional studio model in Norway. And the membership model is now kind of the new school way that's coming out. And I think just like vinyasa, a lot of the students are like, I like the freedom. <laughs> I like being in charge of what I do and how I spend my money and how I spend my time and what do I do with my body. Um, 
But I think that's a really great segue too, Tonya, into kind of the the business side of what we as leaders are choosing to do here in Oslo and kind of touching back, uh, Steen, on your comment earlier about, about the commerce and your concerns about what we could see happen as our community grows. Because, you know, this is the reality. <laughs> yoga is a business. And um, yoga in the Western world, well, and in the Eastern world too. And I think that if we're not careful... Well, even if we choose, I'll rephrase. (laughs) Even if we choose to act with integrity as business owners, we have no control over what other people do. And I'm sure you guys all have had similar experiences to me throughout your yoga careers where, for whatever reason, you've interacted with people who were not operating with integrity. Um, You know, I'm very free and open with a lot of my experiences being a business owner. And, you know, I've been had money stolen from me, I've been cheated, I've been robbed, I've had retreat centers do weird things. Like, I've, I've, I've had studio managers not pay me. I've had to, I, I took a studio to court once in the U.S. Um, for not paying me. So, the, like, weird things, and a lot of people don't understand, especially students don't understand that there is this, like, backside to the yoga industry and community. And I think that it's in everybody's best interest to be transparent. Um, with pricing, with money, with the realities of being a business owner. And when we, as business owners, open the door to this conversation, rather than being, like, so secretive about everything, uh, I mean, maybe we don't share everything, but, you know, sharing a lot, then the people that are coming up, the teachers that are coming up, the students that are coming up who are maybe going to become teachers one day, there's kind of this sense of, like, hey, we're in this together. Like, I get it. And then we start to demand better of the people we work with, of the studios that we work with, of the retreat centers that we work with. And when we raise the bar with how we choose to operate our businesses, then I think that benefits the entire community. And so what do we do when we have to make money? I mean, you guys have brick and mortar. I don't, which was a conscious business decision, um, to keep the lights on. Good for you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I managed a few studios, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you guys think? Like, how are you thinking about running your business in a way that's with integrity, but that also is going to allow you to continue to survive? <laughs> I know, it's a hard question. Yeah, it's a big one. Sina, maybe you have a thought on it. Um, sure. Um <laughs> I I don't know know how to run a business. Um, still don't know after five years uh, with Joy, because when I went into yoga, it was never to teach. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just starting to teach after my training because I I wanted actually to have a community because I loved the community we had in our teacher training. Yeah. So that was my first goal, and and then I just started to teach. Um, for basically nothing um, um, and didn't see any business about it. And it still is kind of surreal that we own a business for me because um, I still don't know what I'm doing uh, business-wise and I don't think too much of it as a business. So it's just actually a miracle that Joy is still <laughs> up and running. <laughs> uh, but that's maybe part of the charm uh, that it's very transparent and 
that we're doing it because we love it and not to make huge money. Mm. Um, but I know Tonya is a businesswoman, uh, a good one. Not a bad one, a good one. <laughs> well, you guys are all good business owners because your businesses have survived. And um, the, the I don't know, if you, I'm sure you guys know this, but for people listening, like the average length of a yoga studio being open is one year or less. Um, it's a very, very difficult business to succeed Yay. in. <laughs> so you guys are all good business owners. You're doing something right. Thank you. I, get, I, I, I have studied business, so I guess that's why I, I'm a business <laughs> businesswoman. <laughs> but I, 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 I quit. I used to work in DNB, banking. <laughs> um, and, um, but I, I, do, I do like the business part uh, as well. Um, I, mean, yeah, I have my, my background, my, my master's in, in, in marketing, so... I feel like that that part comes very natural uh, to create that you know create a product to create a concept like a business concept market a product all those things uh, I really enjoy and I think it's fun and uh, one of the things I enjoy the most is to create experiences mm-hmm. and you know so when I create lila when I create an atmosphere make people come in feel something uh, have a set of classes like it's like a whole package yeah and 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 I, I love that and that's also why I love to do you know when I make the cacao ceremony I want to make like you know an experience like a nice nice thing and atmosphere and feeling and same with retreats and 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 that one of my main problems is that I have too many ideas and too little time like mm. I want to create things all the time you know <laughs> I have one million ideas and no no time one baby <laughs> um um, but yeah, I, 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 I love that part. And next to that, I, I want to create something that is, you know, affordable. I don't, mm. I don't like to, to, I don't want to create to make me into some sort of rich person. I want to create to, to give back. Like that's the, that's the inspiration. And there's been not, I would say not until maybe this last year where I feel uh, that it's getting like a, an okay salary, like a decent, mm-hmm. uh, a decent salary. Having a, you're running your own business is a lot of, lot of sacrifice, a lot of time, a lot of work for quite a low, low salary, I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> and a, a lot of free work. Yeah. Uh, so, so it needs to be a passion. I think it needs to be something you're really passionate about. Um, I mean, like, I, I love the yoga. I love all the spirituality around yoga and I also kind of love the, the, the concept like creating concepts and, and creating products and, and, and all of that and I think that it is good if not I'm going to be burned out a long 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 time ago <laughs> um, and I remember you know some years back when this big um, yoga studio was opening or planning to open here in the in the in town and they came to us and they they asked us about like what do you, well, why is Lila successful and and we answered that I, I think it's because we are small we are us and and people know us when they come in uh, we the regulars you know we know their name you know know their face uh, they feel welcome they feel seen and I think that's very important in yoga and maybe why these very big concepts are not working as well as some of the smaller 
smaller studios. Mm. I think that's a lot of what people are looking for, that little, like, you know, experience to, and to be seen, because so many of us, we don't feel seen in, in everyday mm. life. So you, you want to come someplace where, where you can, you know, open your heart and let down your guard and all these, yeah, like a little safe haven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, Maya? Do you consider yourself a business owner? Like, do you like the business side of it? <laughs> um, yes, I do now. I didn't always. I don't have a business education either. Uh, I like to say that having raw, that's my master's degree, like learning by doing. And it's really been like that because I didn't know anything when I started. Uh, so it was super scary in the beginning. Um, but I've learned so much, uh, and it's been it's been fun, but it's been also extremely nerve-wracking. I've never had that much anxiety in my whole life. You know, the first few years was just up and down and up and down. And, and then gradually, you know, you, you gain more confidence, and you know that it's always going to be a little bit like that. Being a business owner, having all the responsibility, you know, it's going to go up and down, but you learn that you're able to handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I think we've done a great job um, also, as you guys have, to create community. And that's so important, you know? No matter what, that's just everything. And to create, like Tony is saying, a whole experience. It's not just what's happening on the mat, but it's what's happening when you walk in through the doors. And it should be a whole I don't like to say vibe, but, you know, it should be a whole experience. Um, yeah. <laughs> What'd you say? Vibe is a cool word. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, no, my learning curve has been very steep, mm-hmm. definitely. But now I'm starting to enjoy it, and it feels really, it's, it's fun, because I can do the yoga part, but I can also do the business stuff. So that's, that's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was going to say something, but I totally forgot it. Well, we can come back. Yeah. If you think yeah. Of it. yeah. I know for myself, I love the business side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my background's in law. And so I've always been really like, okay with kind of like figuring things out and being analytical and, and problem solving. Um, and I love that, that like the yoga side can be the spiritual and then the business side can be more of the, other side of the brain. Um, and one of the things I've found, and this, this all comes back to community, is when you take yourself seriously as a business owner, and this is the advice I give to every yoga teacher I know, uh, when you take yourself seriously as a business owner and do the stuff that might not be as sexy or as fun, like bookkeeping and <laughs> sending out facturas and um, something happens and I think you, you get like this boost of confidence that really shines through. And so then when you go in to teach yoga, you know, you feel taken care of, you feel seen. Um, I know a lot of teachers in the States who don't take themselves seriously as business owners. And (laughs) there's like this myth around yoga teachers that you never can make money, that you're always going to be broke. And I know a lot of really, really broke yoga teachers in the States. And it's not because they're bad teachers. It's because they don't take themselves seriously. They don't keep track of their money. They don't know how much they're spending on certain things. And then they, you know, they don't have the money. And then they'll go on a retreat to Bali or something. You're like, well, is that really? (laughs) 
the best choice of your funds. Um, but when we as teachers feel safe and taken care of, then when we show up to teach, we can give the best of ourselves and take care of our students. And so that comes back to the community of like, oh, okay, cool. My teacher is taken care of, and now my teacher is taking care of me. And it's all just an exchange of energy anyways. But when we as a teacher feel not taken care of either financially, we're not making enough money, or supported, and supported by the place we're working or the place that we're trying to create business from. And so that's been one thing that um, I think a lot about and try to navigate in running my business is how can I be supportive of the people in my community, both my in, uh, like immediate Atman community. Like I always recommend my graduates for jobs. I always try and promote them forward for anything they want to do, support them, share their events, give them ideas, hook them up with resources or contacts. But then also the community at large. Like I feel a responsibility for the teachers coming into our community to some degree. And, and of course, especially the teachers that are coming out of my school. Um, but it comes back to who do you choose to work for? <laughs> because not every yoga studio has the same intentions or every yoga platform has the same intentions. And as a teacher, if you don't feel validated in what you teach or how you teach, you're not feeling safe. And the experience that you give to your students is reflected where maybe you're just kind of like, bored. <sighs> yeah, I'm just, I'm here to teach my class, make my money and leave. <laughs> and so what do we do? Like how, what do you guys do to try and help make your teachers feel supported? Um, well, we try to give as much freedom as we can um, to trust that they know what they want to teach mm. uh, and not try to decide over them what kind of knowledge or passion they have. And I think, or we see that our teachers, uh, they really take that responsibility and that freedom and use it well. Um, and I've been in different places um, where I have had that freedom and I know how important it was for me. And I've also been in a place where I was told, like, this is the teacher you have to be. Mm -hmm. And this is the way we teach yoga here. And I lost all of my passion to teach. So that's really important for our studio, I think, um, to just allow the teacher to be themselves. Yeah. I, I totally agree. And that's to, to open space for creativity mm. uh, and to back each other up. Like, I've never at RAW ever seen any competition between the teachers. We just back each other. We want each other to succeed and to do, you know, that everyone does their own thing and that they feel held in that space to you know if one of my teachers want to explore something new and they've learned this new thing or they've been to a training or a course or a workshop and they want to teach that we encourage that you know because it is scary also to go in it's scary to be a teacher sometimes when you feel like okay I've expanded into this new space and I really want to teach it but that that can be super scary uh, to, to go in and then you know, to teach something that you haven't been teaching before. It's, <laughs> it's nerve-wracking. And then I just think that's so important to have that community. And also because then all the teachers, I mean, we, we have so much fun at work. People come in much earlier than they have to. People just want to hang out. We hang <laughs> out. We talk. We, it's, it's like a, a sign of a good studio. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, but really it is. It's um it's a second home I think for everyone that teaches there, but also I think that the students feel that way as well. So it becomes this positive spiral where everyone is just really happy to be there. And if we as teachers are happy together and supportive of each other and we're happy to be there, that will be reflected in how the students feel when they walk in the door as well. So just think that, it, yeah, so important part to, to let everyone, like, like Stina says, be themselves mm-hmm. and to really back up that individuality in each and every one. I I agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, Lila, everyone has to do what I say. <laughs> no, it, it's the same. I mean, like if they uh, if I ask someone to to teach or taking a teacher, it's because I think they are good good teachers. And I'm, I'm, it's more important to to create a variety mm-hmm. thing, instead of everyone being the same and standardizing any sort. Like I rather like that it's different things to choose from and people have different. Uh, things to to bring bring to the table, and uh, and again, I think uh, you know the attendance in the class shows a lot more than like what what I think. Yeah. Because there can be be teacher who I don't enjoy their class, but people love them, right? So like mm-hmm. what like my what I like is not necessarily what everyone else likes. Uh, so I think that is important important too. Maybe I think it's like. Too, too slow or too boring or too fast or whatever, you know, but then it's exactly someone else's cup of tea. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, so that's important too. And then um, on, the, uh, on the other side, I, I think it's important to, uh, to just be supporting and to pay their salary on time. <laughs> yeah, coming back to the money, which I think yeah. is great. Because that's something I know I've heard many many teachers com- complain about that mm-hmm. they, they don't get get paid in time. And they, then at least if they they're usually happy with me. They will tell me it's very nice you always pay the bills on, on time or like my salary on time. So like, yeah, okay. people seem to appreciate that. Right, but the flip side of that is too teachers need to get their factures in on time. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that, that's another thing. That's also something I often have to add. Like you haven't invoiced me for the past six months. <laughs> <laughs> Right, right, which is an example of a teacher perhaps not taking themselves seriously as a business owner. You know, having like that set date, okay, it's the 31st, 30th of the month, like time to make sure I've sent all my facturas and, you know, that how much money's coming in, how much money's going out, which I get it. I mean, yoga teacher, I mean, yogis are not known for being business people in general, but I think we can change that stereotype and we can be the examples. For other people, like, hey, there is another way, maybe even a better way, so that everybody feels safe, everybody's on the same page. And, you know, everything you guys, all three of you just described about how you support your teachers, I think is a form of collaboration. Because it's not competition. Competition would be saying, oh, I'm getting fearful that my teachers are not teaching what I need them to be teaching. And when the studio owner starts putting down these really firm restrictions on what a teacher can and cannot teach. That's when I think immediately, like your experience, Dina, that a teacher feels unsafe, feels unappreciated, unvalued, and it shows up in their teaching. I, um, I taught for a corporate studio in the States for, for a few years and was part of their teacher training and, and was really restricted on what I could teach and was told, I love the philosophy. I love Ayurveda. 
And I was told I couldn't teach philosophy. I had to really tone down the theming I was doing in my class. And so I did. And I was miserable. Like, I didn't want to teach. I didn't want to go to work. And that was a real wake-up call. So I was like, okay. And, and it was my full-time job. Like, I paid my bills that way. So I couldn't just be like, oh, no, I don't want to teach right now. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Either I, I conform or I lose my job. And that was really what forced me, not forced me, but led me to create my own business. It was because I was like, I think there's a better way. Like, I'm not the only one who wants to feel free and supported as a teacher. I think everybody wants that. But letting go of the control when you are a business owner, when you have employees, um, is a real sign of strength, not weakness. Because then you're like, hey, I trust you. You're a good teacher. Teach what you know and what you excel in. And then my students, my clients will be happy. Yeah, and I think also to offer within that offer guidance and mentorship, if you want to call it yeah. that. If it's a very new teacher, you know, you also want to be um, feel held in that sense that there's someone there. Who cares? Who, can, who cares? Yeah, exactly. Who can give you guidance, who maybe comes to your class, gives constructive feedback after, that can answer questions. I, I think that's also very important because mm. too much freedom in a vulnerable face of being a teacher can also be very hard sometimes where yep. it's just like, just go in there, do whatever you want. You know, that can also be sometimes just like, oh, scary. So yeah. I think, I think balance and I think, yeah, in general, just every, every person is different. Everyone feels supported in different ways. So how can we be there for each other? And yeah, mm -hmm. show, just show up. As good people. <laughs> But that's what it's all about, right? Yeah. It's to bring that into business, which is something that has been discussed very little. Yeah, I agree. And Because it is personal. And it's just, it is. Yeah. Well, and I think when you do lead by example, when you are a good teacher who's comfortable in your skin and you're passionate about the topics, um, what happens is you do find success monetarily. So it's not, it's, it's the opposite of chasing the money as a teacher or a business owner for the sake of making money or trying to get your piece of the pie of the very, very uh, large yoga industrial complex that we see in the Western well, and Eastern, <laughs> if you've ever been to Rishikesh world. Um, but It's, it's the opposite. If you are letting your passion be the guide and it's supported by like what you were saying, Tony, about being a business owner, lots and lots and lots of hard work. <laughs> like you got to show up for your business. Um, it's not just magically going to happen for you. But if you're led by your heart and it's supported by your hard work, then I'm absolutely convinced that you will be financially supported also. It might not, that might not happen overnight. It does take time to build up your student base, to build up your reputation. But I think students are very, most students are very good at seeing people who are, I mean, I hate this phrase, the bachelor killed it, but um, in it for the right reasons. <laughs> <laughs> What do you guys think? I mean, do you think there's a way to be financially successful in yoga? Or do you think that as soon as that becomes a thought, you're then kind of going in the direction you were talking about, Stina, where you're, you're now too far motivated by money, maybe even at the cost of harming somebody or students? I don't, it depends what you mean by 
financially successful? Well, I mean, able to pay your bills from teaching yeah, yoga. I think, think you can be able to pay your bills. Yeah. <laughs> but I often tell 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 uh, people who come to me and ask about hey, I want to run my own business, and I say like if if you can rather just teach like ten classes a week, you know, let's say at least at the salary we give give at Lila, if you can teach ten classes a week at that salary, you will make more than I do. Mm-hmm. You know, so like if yeah. don't do it for the money, yeah. do it if it's your passion. Yeah, you know, if that's what you want to do. Um, because then I think you can actually make, make more money just being an independent teacher, and then maybe you can teach even like 15 classes or 20 classes with all the time you got, right? <laughs> well, hopefully not, but hopefully maybe workshops or retreats. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you will have a lot more, more, more free time. So. Um, but yeah, you can, you can make like a decent, okay living. I would, you know, you're not going to end up on the, on the street, hopefully. But uh, <laughs> I would not do it to be rich. No. no, and I would say also to be, I mean, you're not going to be able to do it if you're not super passionate about it. Yeah. Whether that's being a yoga or living off of yoga, whether that, that's teaching yoga only or having a yoga studio. Um, because if I, if I hadn't been so passionate about bringing this forward and really doing the business thing, I would never have been able to do it because... Like also Tonya said before, it, it demands a lot of sacrifice. And at least the first years, you're not going to make money off of your business the first years. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of sacrifice and there's so much work. And there's been times, many times that I wanted to just give it up. I was like, what am I doing? You know? And then I kept going because well, we need you. <laughs> Our community yeah, needs each and every one of us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, but I think that the... This work has to come from the heart, mm-hmm. because if it doesn't, it's not gonna. It's not like it's instantly gonna start paying off. But with hard work and with diligence, and also like you said before, that's what I wanted to say before is about these limiting beliefs mm-hmm. that come from somewhere. I don't know, but but that's what we need to change because that is. Um, as in everything in life, limiting beliefs they, it can do a lot of harm. A lot of harm. And um, really, too, if you want to do it and you feel passionate about it, to believe that you can do it and live off of it, then yes, definitely. I think so. 100. And I think a part of that, too, is creativity. Um, You know, I was joking, Tony, when you were like, 10 or 20 classes a week. Um, I think (laughs) teaching 20 group classes a week is a in my opinion, a bad idea. Um, I agree. I agree, too. Um... Just because you, you get burned out as a teacher, and it's it's the lowest denominator of how you're going to make money. Um, you make, you know, we talk about like in in the business world, we talk about the sales funnel and how you get people in kind of at the, the cheapest price point, which would be a group class or your membership, and then you get them excited about the specialty workshop or you get them excited then to come to a weekend training and then you get them excited to go on retreat with you um or then you're doing the course or you know there's there's a lot of other ways to think about it you're filming online yoga you guys at joy do online yoga right yeah Yeah. and um uh sebastian he does his the martial arts that's online yeah which is amazing and so that's the other part of being an entrepreneur and this is where I think, like, I'm 100% convinced about this. In Norway, this is where our community is going. And if we're 
talking about it. Um, when you're willing to take a risk and try something new, maybe something that's never been done in Norway, in the yoga space, then I think there's a lot of room for there to be a successful business. And that's what I think is exciting because then we get inspired by each other. I was like, oh, cool. That person over there started this yoga business and that's a great idea. Or this person over there is doing this online offering. Cool. I wonder how I can do that too. And so then it creates this energy that's positive. It's momentum going forward. And so rather than competing with one another and being like, oh my God, well, they did something really cool. Wish I'd thought of that. And letting that be the negative momentum, it's the positive momentum of like, ooh, that's intriguing. I wonder, maybe I'm going to take a risk too. Like that idea, that seed at the back of my brain, I'm going to go for it and throw it out there and see what happens. Um, Understanding too, (laughs) failure is a big part of being a business owner. And (laughs) you got to be okay with making mistakes and you got to be okay with um, maybe having an idea that's not that great. And then not letting that like completely destroy your world or tear you down. And rather than just focusing on the, on the negative thing or the perceived bad idea, being like, oh, okay, well, that didn't work. What's next? What else could happen? What could work? And I have seen some super cool things coming out of the Norwegian yoga community. I'm like, whoa, wow, that's interesting. And so I think that's where we can go a little bit too when we're talking about like, okay, well, if we, 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 money needs to be part of the conversation. And it, I find it really um, disheartening when yogis are like, oh, it's only a spiritual practice. We can't talk about money. Or why don't you just give it away for free? It's like, well, you're either a brand new yoga teacher <laughs> or you live on air. I don't know. And so it's like, let's get creative in how we're running our businesses, in how we're collaborating, in how we're putting ourselves out there, especially in our local community. And I just want to say that money is, money is a form of energy. That's all it is. It's an exchange. And what you put in, you need to get something back. And there's nothing. I also think this whole notion that money is bad, it's not. It, we like it's that's the world we live in and we need money to survive and it's not a bad like money is not evil it's the kind of the sometimes the um, motivation behind or what you yes. know the lengths people are willing to go to to get money or that's that's you know the bad thing but money in and of itself is not a bad thing and for you to be able to thrive in your life and feel healthy and be able to be in your power you don't have to be a millionaire, but you have to make money. That's just how this world is. So I also think we need to change the way we talk about money because it's not helping anyone either to talk about money as something evil because you're kind of pushing it away from you if you do that. So right. I just wanted to add. Yeah. It's a misconception. It's like karma. Yeah. People, <laughs> people don't understand karma. And people don't understand that money, just like you said, by itself is not a bad thing but how we're motivated by it exactly. and the intention behind it absolutely yes. could be harmful. Yes. Mm. I have one last question about money, um, just because it is such a, a charged topic. Mm-hmm. Um, pricing. You guys, like, we don't have to share exact specifics of pricing, but what do you guys think about how 
we price things in our yoga community in Norway or Oslo? Do you think our prices are high? Do you think our prices are low? Do you think our prices are kind of in keeping with kind of the Western yoga structure? Or do you not even really think about it? Do you just kind of set your own pricing for your needs? And my my only thought about it is that, that I don't want to make it too expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd rather that more people can afford it. And then my experience is usually that, and that goes with both workshops and also membership, that if the, mem- if the price is high, there's fewer people and less money coming in, coming in in total and I see that with workshops as well if the workshop is a little bit um, let's say it's uh, you know 600 and instead of 300 then people often like you get five people but if you had it 300 you often get 20 people mm-hmm. so again you're making more in the, um, in the what do you call it? In, in the end yeah, like yeah. the total will, will be more so, so that's uh, over these like past years that's my my biggest experience with it that that, mm-hmm. that if um, that, that at least uh, in our community people are quite price sensitive mm-hmm. um, but again we have a lot of students we have a lot of self-employed people um, and that might be very different over at, at Brock for example who is located at the, uh, an area of town where there are more people with, with money, I would, I would say. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, it's like a net, right? It's a little, it's, yeah. Well, yeah, maybe. Um, I don't know. I do think, though, I do feel like the yoga studios in Oslo are pretty balanced. I know that we're a little bit more expensive, I think, than you guys, but also hot yoga is more expensive to to run, like in terms of electricity and people have to stay longer before and after class there's a lot of we always have to clean the floor like a hundred times a day you know Mm -hmm. there's just it's just cost more yeah but we try to keep um try to keep the costs at the lowest possible pricing for us so that we can also run you know and pay all the bills and pay all the salaries so we never like we never go high or higher so that we can make more money personally for us, but mm-hmm. it's just about keeping it balanced, I think, with, you know, people should earn what they deserve to earn, and that everything yeah. is, like, balanced like that. But, um, yeah. I But I agree with Tony in terms... We haven't had that many workshops because we're a hot studio, mm-hmm. so it's tricky. You can't spend three hours in the <laughs> in the hot room. <laughs> then people would, like... <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but we have we have done some. And um, and I like to keep the price as low as possible because then you just get more people in and more people get to experience it and it's a win-win actually. Mm-hmm. I feel like, yeah. You know, what do you think? Uh, we try to have a lot of different options, um, so that if people want to practice maybe just once a month, they have clipper court, and I know you also probably have that and mm-hmm. uh, memberships prices are pretty low because if you invest in our studio for 12 months like you well, we want that to pay off for the members like mm-hmm. if they stay with us for a for a long period of time that's kind of our, our reward yeah. um and uh yeah and also just when we do the math i think we want to be able to pay our teachers a good salary and also we want our members to afford 
to be members, um, and we don't really think too much about it. We, I think, we put the prices when we open, and we haven't changed. Yeah, the membership prices. I don't think we changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, pricing's tricky. <laughs> it's always a really difficult thing, and there's, you know, so many new studios popping up. Like I see a new studio popping up all the time in Oslo, which is really exciting. I think I love that. Um, but it's also then the, the pricing starts to get a lot more fluctuations in it sometimes. And from teacher training, of course, it's a, it's a higher ticket item. Uh, less people do it. One of the things I've observed, especially um, uh, no one in this room, but somebody else I was just talking with who's part of my um, the Atman team, Christine, she did the very first teacher training that I, I did in Norway. And I had set the price Similar because there weren't that many teacher trainings in 2016. Um, there, a 200 hour, um, and I think there was one other studio doing them, and so I set my pricing kind of more in accordance with like U.S. teacher trainings. I found everything in Norway is much more expensive. Um, classes are more expensive. Memberships are more expensive. Teachers also get paid a lot more. It's like when I moved here, I was like, "Woo, this is amazing. I mean, you're not rich, but it's definitely like you're not American yoga teacher poor either. (laughs) Uh, And so I had set my my first teacher training prices to an American standard. And then I started looking around a little bit more and I was like, actually, this is really, really low. And my, my idea with pricing is just because you can doesn't necessarily mean you should. Um, my prices are still the lowest, just about the lowest in the country, and we have the most programs in the country uh, for vinyasa. And uh, we're going to change that starting in 2021 because I'm so far below a lot of the other pricing for teacher trainings in the country that then it start people start to wonder like, well, what's wrong with your school? If you're so much lower than the other ones, where I start to wonder when these like really high-priced teacher trainings, I'm like, how are you delivering that much value in a 200-hour teacher training? That's the question I wonder. Um, so it's finding that balance between what's the value you're giving for the price that you're charging, which is also just that exchange of energy. And so finding that sweet spot's very, very difficult. Um, will still be priced just below some of the others, but it is quite a, quite a big leap from where we are now. I think this is a very important discussion to have because I've also been looking into 500-hour teacher trainings now internationally. Mm-hmm. And it's like, because in the yoga, Western yoga world, we don't have any rules. There's no roof. There's no like... No. And I'm like, some of these teacher trainings, I mean, they're so expensive <laughs> That I, I don't I don't understand how it's even legal or how it's even seriously, it's like I could never do that. Yeah. And I'm wondering like because you've seen the past, let's say the past eight years, ten years, there's been a very like rapid growth, both of like the amount of teacher trainings that are being offered, but also the cost of the teacher trainings. And how many teachers can we like you talked about before, how many teachers can we educate are there jobs for them you know all of these questions i think so in norway yeah (laughs) in norway there is no but it's important um questions to ask because i just yeah i think it's a it's a 
good conversation to have. And also, yeah. how much should a teacher training cost? Yeah. Well, I think because with all pricing, it comes down to you personally and your integrity. Yeah. What do you think is appropriate? And do you, I always have a gut check with the pricing I do for any workshop, for anything. I'm always like, does this feel correct? Like the value that I'm providing. And I think I could charge more for some of my services and I choose not to because I don't think then I'm in alignment with my personal integrity and I wouldn't feel good about that. You know, and it's, you know, also with teacher trainings, capping the number of students so that everybody feels like they have an opportunity to be seen and be present where, you know, you see mostly internationally, but you see these teacher trainings with like 50 people. Not just that, but like 400 people. Oh, yeah. Well, so, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, dude, that's just, yeah, that's insane. Yeah. So I think those are all just questions as business owners we answer for ourselves. And, um, but it's, uh, you're right. I, I want to have these conversations and I want to have these conversations in our community here in Oslo and in Norway because it's so important. And then it, it can kind of take down some of those walls of competition, too. And it's like, okay, well, if we're all kind of making or charging the same amount, okay, then we're, we're all doing okay. All right. We are out of time. I just want to see if there's any last comments from any of you ladies about our community, growing our community. I was thinking when I read your topic, yeah. I was kind of thinking to myself, um, how we can grow the community in, yeah. in Oslo. And I think um, a very good start is to to uh, stop pointing fingers. Mm. Uh, and I'm guilty of that myself. Like we see someone do something completely different than what we do and we kind of, oh, that's not the right way to do it. And yeah. um, especially from the outside, I think that looks very weird in the yoga world. When you go to talk to a teacher and the teacher is saying something bad about another style or mm. another teacher or something like that. And just accept that we all are different. And we all, like, I changed so much during pregnancy and after birth. Um, totally new, new respect for pregnant ladies and, and mothers because <laughs> I never experienced that before. Uh, so I didn't know how it was. Uh, now that I have experienced it, I can totally relate to their choices and what they're doing. And the same thing with other people you never know what they're going through or what they need so we just have to stop thinking that we know um, what other people need and what's right for everyone and I think um, that's some work we as yoga teachers in the yoga community can can work on totally agree Mm -hmm. yeah and rather be curious about each other and how we can support each other through what we're going through Mm -hmm. we should do more stuff together Yes, we should. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Um, Well, I just, I want to thank all of you guys so much for being here. I think this is a great step in the right direction in terms of bringing people together to have these conversations. And, you know, I don't think it always just has to be asana. Like, it's just the idea of getting together and sharing a cup of tea to talk about yoga (laughs) with people who love yoga. Um, And it's just, you know, I admire each and every one of you guys so much as business owners and as yogis and, you know, leading the way for our community um, by the examples that you guys are setting in terms of how you run your businesses and the choices that you make with your teachers and the things that you're doing really can show 
everybody around, like, okay, cool. This is how our community can be. Instead of being, like, catty or fighting or, you know, like you were saying, Stina, this is the best way. This is the only way. It's like, well, no, we can, we can open our minds just a little bit more. <laughs> um, so I just, yeah, I'm so, so excited. I want to thank all of you guys for being here tonight. Thank you for coming and spending your evening with us. Um, and also thank you to Lululemon for hosting us at this beautiful brand new space here in Oslo. And um, that's it. That's all. Everybody have a great night. All right. Bye-bye.